0: Just a heads up, y'all. This episode contains some salty language, which means it's going to be some cussing. What's good, y'all? This is Code Switch, the show about race and identity from NPR. I'm Gene Demby. And this week, how did Bad Bunny, Bad Bunny, a gender-bending, trap-banger-producing musical superstar become the unlikely leader slash icon slash symbol of political resistance in Puerto Rico? All right, so last summer... Bad Bunny put on a really, really big concert in Puerto Rico. It was so big that it kind of took place across the whole island all at once. And my colleague, Adrian Florido, who covers Race and Identity for NPR, he was in Puerto Rico and found himself kind of swept up in the tsunami of Bad Bunny. <laughs> What's good with you, Adrian? Hey, Gene. How's it going? It's been a long time. Man, I can't call it. I can't call it. Okay, you were there. Set the scene for us, man.
1: Well, this concert was in San Juan uh, at El Choli, which is you know, Puerto Rico's main venue for concerts. And people uh, had been camping out for days to get tickets. I mean, to the point where even being part of like the queue outside of the arena um, became an event in and of itself. It had this like, great energy. People were so psyched. Bad Bunny is one of the biggest stars on earth. And he's always repping Puerto Rico everywhere he goes. So this concert, for his people, on his island, was going to be a huge deal. Uh, and everyone wanted to be a part of it. So much so that um, Bad Bunny actually set these giant screens up in communities all across the island so that even people who weren't able to get tickets were going to be able to watch it live wherever they were. And, you know, I like Bad Bunny, but I'm not, like, a, a super fan. Okay. But when all of society is going to do a thing, well, I mean, I'd, like, I've got to be there too, right? <laughs> so I went out to... Uh, La Placita de Santurce, um, this plaza in San Juan, where one of these screens had been set up, uh, you know, to watch the concert for a couple of hours. Hmm. So did you have fun? Oh, it was awesome. Everyone uh, was, you know, singing, screaming, dancing perreo.
0: <laughs>
1: did you dance <know> perreo? <laughs> this, this story's not about me, Gene. <laughs> oh, fair enough, fair enough. But, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, and after a couple of hours uh, I was shaking yes. I was walking away to leave <laughs> And when I was about half a block away I just hear this massive roar So I, I turned around And I started running back And I asked this young kid Once I got to the edge of the crowd Like what had happened uh, And he told me what Bad Bunny had said <laughs> All right, Adrian, so What was he saying there? Because my Spanish is is trash. Well, uh, he was kind of going after, like, the entire political class in Puerto Rico, including calling out the governor. Mm. But the thing he said that really drew that massive roar that I heard uh, was Luma pa'l carajo. Luma uh, can go to hell. Huh. Okay. Uh, Who is Luma? Well, Luma runs Puerto Rico's power grid. Uh, it's it's the island's electric company. Uh, and a lot of Puerto Ricans hate it. But, I mean, Asia, who likes the companies that take our money for basic services? You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, people in Puerto Rico really, really hate Luma. Okay, how come, though? Well, Luma is a private company that Puerto Rico's government chose in 2021 to take over the grid. Mm. The power grid had been a public utility run by the government really, I should say, run into the ground by the government over, like, decades of neglect and mismanagement to the point where it had so deteriorated by the time Hurricane Maria came around in 2017 that, as everyone remembers, uh, the storm's winds just totally flattened it, causing an island-wide blackout. Hmm. And so this was obviously a huge tragedy, but Puerto Rico's governor at the time also saw it as an opportunity, uh, the perfect opportunity, really, to, to like, achieve this long-held goal, of privatizing the electric utility. Um, The thinking was that a private company could come in and improve the grid. So what the government did was it chose these two companies, uh, one from Texas and one from Canada. Hmm, So notably, not Puerto Rican companies. Right, not Puerto Rican companies. These two companies partnered to form this consortium called Luma, which took over the grid. And a lot of Puerto Ricans think that Luma's done a, a terrible job. Why do they think it's done such a terrible job, though? Well, you know, the island's had constant blackouts for years, and under Luma, those have not improved. There's even some data that indicates they might have at least initially gotten worse after Luma took over. Uh, electricity has also gotten more expensive because you know fuel costs have gone up around the world. And so people feel like they're paying these high rates for really, really unreliable service. And also, you know I think a big part of this disdain that people feel for Luma. Um, it's just that, you know, people take great offense at the idea of this U.S. and Canadian company coming in to take over one of Puerto Rico's most important public assets. Um, I think it's important to say, though, Gene, that, you know, not everybody feels this way. There are people who think, look, you know, Luma inherited a power grid that was in shambles and it's going to take more than a year and a half to fix what a corrupt public agency spent decades neglecting. Uh, some people think Luma just needs some time. And that's actually the argument that Luma makes itself. Mm -hmm. But even so, I mean, Luma has come to embody so much of what Puerto Ricans are are fed up with right now. You know, the breakdown of essential services, the high cost of living, and, you know, the suffocating relationship that Puerto Rico has uh, with the United States. And so then when Bad Bunny gets up on stage and curses Luma... Yeah, I mean, he was giving voice to all of that anger. right. And at that concert in July, um, he performed one of his biggest hits, uh, El Apagón, which means the blackout.
0: Okay, Adrian, this is a conversation about Bad Bunny, but first we do have to like set up some more of this context, because it's not just
1: Luma and the blackouts that people are so vexed about. Right. I mean, you can't separate the drama around Luma from Puerto Rico's you know, broader history over the last decade and a half or so, which is when Puerto Rico's debt crisis really started to balloon, you know, leading the island eventually to file for bankruptcy. Puerto Rico has giant debt troubles totaling $70 billion. Its government has laid off tens of thousands of public employees, raised sales tax, schools have been shut down, social services slashed. To try to deal with all of Puerto Rico's debt, uh, the federal government back in 2015-2016 created a board to take control of Puerto Rico's finances. Uh, And this board put in place all kinds of austerity measures. It slashed the budgets of local agencies. uh, It slashed the budget of the University of Puerto Rico. And at the same time, the island's legislature, you know, was also courting rich investors and corporations uh, with tax breaks. Hmm. And the government has just sort of focused a lot of its economic development strategy to try to get out of this crisis on catering to tourists and foreigners, not on providing basic services that Puerto Ricans need. And so you have all these people coming in, throwing their money around, throwing their weight around, and those people are not Puerto Ricans themselves. Right. And this adds to a lot of the anger and resentment that people feel toward the U.S., you know, because of this unbalanced power dynamic, which has a very long history there. Hmm. And, you know, we hear this often when we talk about Puerto Rico's political
0: status, right? It's a territory of the United States. It's under the administration of the U.S. federal government. But calling it a territory sort of papers over the fact that so much of this relationship with the U.S. is really a colonial
1: arrangement? Right. I mean, I think, you know, it's important to understand that, you know, when you're living on the island for a certain amount of time, if you're paying attention, you really, like, feel how colonialism warps and constrains everything. I mean, it really undergirds how even the smallest things work on Puerto Rico. And how much and, like, to what extent that power dynamic hurts Puerto Ricans became really clear to a lot of people uh, after Hurricane Maria slammed into the island in 2017.
0: It has been more than a week since Hurricane Maria made landfall,
1: but some people are only just receiving assistance. Despite the magnitude,
2: federal aid has been slow to trickle in.
1: Government agencies, like whose budgets, you know, were being decimated, didn't have the money or capacity to respond to the immediate emergency after the storm. You know, the federal government, FEMA, bungled things too, because FEMA wasn't equipped to deal with the way that things operate in Puerto Rico, as opposed to the the way that things work in the states. So people, after Maria, really had to rely on on themselves and on each other to put their lives back together and to really get the island up and running again. And then to add insult to injury, as Puerto Ricans are leaving the island by the tens of thousands, there were people coming from the United States, from foreign countries, you know, buying up property that had plummeted in value after the storm. Hmm. And now years later, I mean, housing costs are skyrocketing. So you'll have a lot of Puerto Ricans who can't even afford to live there. So you got all these foreigners coming in and all these Puerto Ricans leaving. It kind of sounds like a massive displacement. Yeah. And so all of these crises, you know, are the backdrop for the emergence of this young guy from the north side of the island who worked as a grocery store bagger and who was also moonlighting as a reggaeton artist. Benito Antonio Martínez Ocasio. That's Bad Bunny? That is Bad Bunny.
2: And this song comes out, you know, the year after Hurricane Maria.
0: That non-Bad Bunny voice you're hearing belongs to Vanessa Diaz. She's Puerto
1: Rican. She's a cultural anthropologist. Yeah, and that song she was talking about, Gene, is called Estamos Bien. It means we're okay. I was living in Puerto Rico full time in 2018 covering the aftermath of the hurricane for NPR and in a lot of ways that song became the island's unofficial anthem that year
2: The island has been suffering (laughs) is continuing to suffer and this song comes out like no we're good now, obviously, this song is not just about post hurricane Puerto Rico, but the fact that it comes out in this moment and really echoes this kind of expectation of Puerto Rican resilience under colonialism, which is that, like, you know, this hurricane happens, and what are the slogans that come out? Puerto Rico se levanta. Puerto Rico, get up. Puerto Rico, stand up. Puerto Rico, do it yourself. Right? Like, that's what the people were doing. Nobody was coming to help them.
1: You know, it, it gives me chills, Jean, to thinking back to that moment when the song came out, that this local reggaeton artist really had his finger on, like, the pulse of what his fellow Puerto Ricans were feeling amid so much tragedy. This mix of, of vulnerability, but also, like, really great pride. And now, just a few years later, look at him.
0: Yeah, man, Bad Bunny is global. Like, in 2020, he was ASCAP's Composer of the Year. He just set the record for most money grossed on a musical tour in a calendar year, which is, like, a bananas thing. (laughs) It wasn't the Beatles, it wasn't Beyonce, it was Bad Bunny. His album, Un Verano Sin Ti, was on all kinds of best of lists for 2022. And he's nominated for Album of the Year, the Grammys this year, like on top of everything else, which, by the way, is the first time a Spanish language album has ever
1: been so honored. Just crazy all the world. And all the while, all the while, he's been a consistent critic of the conditions on the island and a voice for young Puerto Ricans.
0: Yeah, in fact, he looms so large in the culture and contemporary politics of Puerto Rico that Vanessa Diaz, who we just heard from, is actually teaching a college course about him.
2: I think it's important to understand Bad Bunny, to understand not just the history of Puerto Rico, but also the fact that that pride in being Puerto Rican and that desire to assert, I think, Puerto Ricanness and the desire for Puerto Rico to have something more, to have something better.
0: Coming up, stay with us, y'all. Gene, just Gene, Code Switch. And we've been talking about Bad Bunny, Bad Bunny, <laughs> the reggaeton megastar, and how his rise to fame ran parallel to and was shaped by all the political and social tumult in Puerto Rico, which is his home. Simplemente te puedo decir que de
1: chiquito, como que no me gustaba seguir la norma, no me gustaba verme igual que se veía los otros.
2: Yo no soy tuyo ni de nadie, yo soy solo
0: de mí. That was the man himself, Benito. He spoke to NPR in 2019, and he says that from a really young age, he didn't like following norms. He didn't like looking like everybody else. Vanessa Diaz, who we heard from earlier in the show, says that's part of why she likes him so much.
2: I would describe Bad Bunny as an unapologetically Puerto Rican artist who mostly plays reggaeton and trap.
0: Now, Vanessa will tell you straight up that she's a Bad Bunny stan. And this insistence on his individuality was the theme of the first Bad Bunny song that she ever really rocked with. It was called
2: "Caro." That song is really about him being unapologetically Bad Bunny.
1: Caro is
2: just, like, expensive, right? Like... That he's worthy, that he has value as a person, as an artist, and it doesn't matter if people don't like him. It doesn't matter what people say about him.
0: But Vanessa also says, like, okay, leave aside all the bops, all the style, you know, like, it's worth taking him seriously as a cultural and political force and as a way into conversations about race and power and colonialism in Puerto Rico. So she built a whole course around that idea at Loyola Marymount University where she's a professor.
2: All right, everyone, let's recenter, let's recenter, let's come back together. Welcome to Bad Bunny and Resistance in Puerto Rico. This is a dream class for me to teach. I hope it's a dream class for you to take.
0: So before her first lecture, we sat down to talk about how this class came to be.
2: So. I was a red carpet reporter for People Magazine for many years, and I study celebrity culture and media. So I'm always examining this process of manufacturing of fame and celebrities. Mm -hmm. And there's so much about Bad Bunny that to me doesn't adhere to that sort of typical rise to fame. Mm -hmm. So let's start with this, his language politics, Mm -hmm. right? His sort of refusal to engage with the... I think would be a publicly perceived need that he should speak English,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? That so many people before him, in order to quote unquote crossover, have spoken English to make that happen. And he doesn't feel like he needs to do that, and he's not doing that, and he's doing great. Um, his gender and sexuality politics. He's not trying to put himself in a box. If he wants to wear a dress, he's gonna wear a dress. If he wants to kiss a man on TV, he's gonna kiss a man on TV. He doesn't really feel like he needs to answer to people or conform or check a particular box. He's breaking records for a reason. And I think that we need to take him really seriously as a cultural figure. And so that's really what I'm trying to do with my class is center him as a critical cultural figure And use his work, his lyrics, his celebrity power to talk about bigger issues in Puerto Rico and beyond. Mm -hmm. This is history happening in real time. Like my PhD is in cultural anthropology and cultural anthropologists are really trained to tell the stories of the contemporary that are going to become our history. And so that's really what my class is about is saying... We actually have a major cultural figure who's making transformative artistic and political choices and that's worthy of study. It's important that we study it.
0: So you're anchoring different sessions of your course around individual songs from the Bad Bunny catalog. Um, But what are some of the songs that you want to focus on and like pull apart?
2: So the song Apagón means blackout, right? Mm. That's really what it's about. Puerto Rico has these continual issues with blackouts, um, sometimes because of a hurricane, but always because of the terrible state of the electrical grid there, um, despite privatization, right, of this electrical grid, which was supposed to change things. Um, So the topic of the song in and of itself is political and important. It's a a key issue on the island. And then he uses bomba and Puerto Rican folk music beats and then turns it into an EDM song. So he has this super political, you know, song and the song's about blackouts, but then it's mixed in with just like party vibes how do you do all of this in one song it gets people talking about these issues because the people who understand Spanish they understand the themes and then the ones who don't want to know and then you know the end of the song his girlfriend Gabriela closes it with a sort of softly sung verse about white Americans that I think Many would call neo-colonizers of the island, for lack of a better term, um, the, the folks who are flocking to Puerto Rico seeking tax breaks on the island and then displacing Puerto Ricans as a result, creating housing crises that we see in the documentary he released with the song, Aquí Vive Gente, right? And so this song, I think it becomes the embodiment of the duality of Puerto Rican life, right? It's hard. That song is hard. And then it's soft. And it's beautiful, and it's painful. I
0: imagine when people are listening to that song, like, everybody's turning up everybody's like getting their laughs and also like we might not we don't know if like this song is going to play all the way through because we might lose electricity.
2: I, yeah, and he said that. At some point he said, "I hope everyone can watch this and get through this song without a blackout happening." And that's mm-hmm. really real. And yeah, the power of that song. I mean, earlier today I was like listening to the music. I was like like, you know, pumping my fist and feeling all hyped but then also being very pensive about everything going on. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's really the the kind of complicated reality, you know, what it means for him to be a Puerto Rican. And in his case, it's really allowed him to lyrically, artistically articulate those highs and lows of what it means to live on this incredible island and in this incredible rich nation full of culture and pride and amazing history and at the same time what it means for that nation to be under direct colonial rule that never puts the people first. And it all comes together in his work.
0: Is that is that the job of a popular artist like Bad Bunny? Like, is the job of an artist like Bad Bunny just to sort of be, mainly I should say, to be a megaphone for that like anger and sentiment? Um, or are they supposed to do they have any responsibility to add context or deepen?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, of course, there's there's these issues that are specific to to Puerto Rico, the blackouts, the debt crisis, kind of post Hurricane Maria life on the island, hmm. and I think that's an important question around those Puerto Rican topics, right? These topics specific to the island. And I think it's also an important question to extend to um, the kind of broader issues where people have looked to him for perhaps Mm -hmm. not direction, but action. Um, So he definitely got a lot of critique um, in 2020 around the Black Lives Matter protests and the fact that he hadn't been speaking out directly about it. People were very much fans of Bad Bunny at the time and I think other folks who just kind of follow him culturally and realize the ways in which he has been an activist of sorts through his artistry were like, why hasn't he spoken out about it, right? Um, And I think that there are a lot of valid critiques of any artist, including Bad Bunny, and this is what it means to have the level of celebrity he has. Do I think that there's more he can do around issues particular to Puerto Rico, around addressing race uh, and racism, certainly. Um, What does he owe people? I'm not sure. This all brings me to the song Compositor del Año.
0: So the fourth week of your course is about this song. It's about policing, race, and pop culture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I really want to sit in the class for a bunch of reasons, but I really, really want to listen on that session. Could you tell us about that session and why that song is going to be the sort of node for this discussion?
2: So Compositor del Año came out August 30th, 2020. And in this song, he samples Little Richard's
0: Tootie
2: Fruity. This song is very much an homage to Black American music. Um, It's a track that is explicitly about racism and the harm of anti-Black racism and the problem of police brutality.
0: Little Richard famously has claimed to be the inventor of rock and roll. How much of that do you think was on purpose that they used this sample to be like the originators of this genre that are not is not really associated with black people that much. Are I people.
2: actually think that it was incredibly intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lyric in the song where he says, "Little Richard was always better than Elvis."
1: <laughs>
0: wow!
2: Right, he talks in the song about how if a black person has a gun, they're a criminal, but if a white person has a gun, it's a hobby. Mm-hmm. He explicitly says Black Lives Matter in the song. He underscores the severity of racism in the era of COVID. He references the George Floyd murder. Que He's talking about not being able to breathe. He's talking about George Floyd. He says, Y que una placa sea licencia pa' matar. Pero ser blanco... So having a badge gives you license to kill. But being white is what makes you lethal. So this is a very explicit racial text. And so I want to take his work and and say, well, what, what did he say? Right? What did he say? And... What is he trying to do with that?
0: Hmm. What has he said about being a light-skinned Latino man in this genre that has been so racialized and how that's shaped his success?
2: Sure. So in his statement that he issued in 2020, sort of shortly after the kind of calls for him to say something came out, Mm -hmm. he mentioned that he was someone who was talked about as having pelo malo, which in Latin America and the Caribbean is talked about in terms of textured hair. So I feel like he was trying to bring Mm -hmm. up the complexity of race and understandings about race and identity. But again, he's he's not an expert on race and racism. I think that that statement showed that this is kind of what happens when you want somebody to say something that perhaps they're not equipped to say or ready to, maybe, right? Like, I think the song was better than the statement. And I think mm-hmm. the statement was kind of like a thing that came out to be to react to people calling for it. And I think the song was something that came about on his own more organically.
0: He also does, when we're talking about identity and his skin color, mm-hmm. um, that's like one part of the sort of package of Bad Bunny. But another part of the package of Bad Bunny is sort of his fluidity around his gender presentation, like his short Mm -hmm. shorts, he wears makeups, he wears dresses, like, um, all that's been seen as sort of a commentary or maybe like a critique or trolling of, you know, the idea of machismo. But, you know, a lot of his lyrics are misogynist in the sort of way that Mm -hmm. hip-hop and reggaeton is like, you know, misogynist, like having sex with lots of women, getting on these Mm -hmm. chicks, you know what I'm saying? So, um, there are critics who say that pl- his playing with like femme presentation sometimes is queer baiting. There's a lot of tension in his presentation around gender.
2: Okay, I'm gonna start with the queer baiting question. There have been critiques, of course, around the fact that he's also been viewed. As someone who is advocating for mm-hmm. LGBTQ rights, particularly around issues of trans rights, right? He went on Jimmy Fallon with a shirt that said, no, uh, Mataron a Alexa, who was a trans woman who was killed in Puerto Rico, but was talked about really disrespectfully in the media and was talked about a man as a man in a skirt. Ultimately, he brought attention to Alexa. He could have just worn a Nike shirt and then... People wouldn't have been talking about Alexa in the same way.
0: Mm-hmm. But the critiques around his queerbaiting stem from kissing a man at VMAs, you know, dressing yes. up in a dress. Um, but also yes. being, you know, like I guess some people would say, like a little vague and uh, mm-hmm. elusive on questions about his his sexuality. Although he has said, like, I mm-hmm. d- date women. I I am dating women, but that doesn't mean I won't date a man in the future. Who's to say? But a lot of it has been like, oh, the, the the kiss on the VMAs was like a shock value, like just a attempt to sort of pretend that he was queer and maybe he wasn't.
2: To me, it feels all connected representationally, right? Yeah, like, yeah. what does it mean for a man sure. who's not trans to be wearing that shirt? What does it mean for a man who's not asserting his queer identity or gay identity because perhaps they don't identify as such? What does it mean for that person to kiss a man and then just after that, kiss a woman on stage, right? What does that mean? It's not necessarily about if Bad Bunny stands up and says, I'm queer. It's about Bad Bunny creating the space for it to be a possibility and for him to not have to check the box. And so for me, this is part of this larger thing with Bad Bunny, which is that I think that he is powerful in many ways because he is an artist of resistance and refusal, refusal to accommodate, refusal to speak English, refusal to say anything really explicitly about his sexuality beyond who he's dating in the moment. This this kind of refusal to accommodate, right? What it means to be a Puerto Rican who has been subject to all kinds of direct colonialism is that it has fostered this spirit of refusal and resistance. We see that in the San Caro. The San Caro kind of plays with this question of sexuality and gender. In the video, he's played by a woman and then eventually comes back to being himself and then is interacting with all of these different individuals throughout the video showing kind of people who are marginalized in many ways, people who have disabilities, people who are trans, people who are... You know, visibly queer people who are older, have different body shapes. Like, he's, it's this kind of like inclusive practice, this refusal to accommodate. And that's what the song says. What does it matter to you? I am how I am. Que carajo te importa a ti? Como soy yo? What does it matter to you how I am? Por que no puedo ser así? En que te hago daño a ti? Why can't I be like this? How am I hurting you? Me miran raro, pero a nada yo le paro. They look at me weird, but I'm not going to stop that. Like, it's all of these points of just being like, I don't care, right? I mean, he has an album, yo hago lo que me da la gana, I do what I want. Like, that's the stance. I'm not going to accommodate. We're all going through changes all the time about our individual identities, that's just that's just life. And I feel like he kind of embodies that realization that perhaps more and more people are coming to, right? that that things things can change. Things are fluid. Nothing's permanent. Mm-hmm. As a queer person, I don't feel like he's queer baiting, you know? I understand and teach about queer baiting in my classes. Um, but I also think it's important to engage with. Things like sexuality, where I think we have to give people room to breathe.
0: Do you think it would, it would land differently, it would hit differently if he were an out queer person and from Puerto Rico? Like, do you think that that would have different implications in the way people think about both his celebrity and people receive him and in maybe the way people think about queerness more broadly?
2: Absolutely. At this moment, because of his level of fame... I don't know what it would mean if he said, yes, I identify as queer, or yes, I identify as bi, or yes, I identify as gay. His level of celebrity is at this point now, and his fan base is such that I'm not sure what it would do. Would he Mm -hmm. have gotten to where he is now if he were an out, queer, bi, or gay person It's the same thing to me where I don't know if he appeared different physically, meaning if he were a black Puerto Rican, would he have the same level of fame? I don't know. I think that many of the ways that he has been able to navigate things and that he has climbed to fame have to do with who he is. And who he is is someone who does not identify as queer and does not identify as black. Those are two very clear things about him.
0: All right, so imagine teaching your your class. You're having the last (laughs) seminar before finals. You've rocked this class this whole semester. You want to go out on a Bad Bunny song. You want to drop the mic and go on a Bad Bunny song. What song is that? Mm, Okay,
2: That's really hard. Um... I'm going to say we end on Me Fui de
1: Vacaciones.
2: (laughs) We'll be getting ready to start summer break, so hopefully people will be going on vacaciones. But also because there's a sort of, like, I think love and romance about that song like, people talked about the whole album as a love letter to Puerto Rico. But for me, Me Fui de Vacaciones is the most love letter. That song makes me cry when I listen to it because I feel like I can remember driving around the islands when I was a kid. And it makes me feel really nostalgic. I think that's what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that him driving around the island, visiting his favorite places that that gives him all the joy he needs. Ya no pido más deseos. Tengo todo lo que necesito.
1: I'm literally choking <laughs> up. I feel so silly. It, it makes me cry because I
2: think that that's really... That's the level of love that Puerto Ricans have for their island, and he has that love. And so I hope students end the term feeling their appreciation of, critique of Bad Bunny, but also feeling that appreciation for Puerto Rico, for Puerto Rican people, for the struggles of Puerto Rico, the continued struggles for independence, liberation. And I just feel like that song is so so beautiful and such an homage to the beauty of of the island and again, you know, we're, we're talking about really hard stuff the whole term um, we're talking about the beauty and the pain of Puerto Rico and Puerto Rican history and I think you gotta go out with this positive love-filled message since that's that's all that matters at the end of the day And and to me that's That's the most beautiful uh, love story for Puerto Rico that he ever wrote.
0: Vanessa Diaz is a professor of Chicano and Latino Studies at Loyola Marymount University. Her course is called Bad Bunny and Resistance in Puerto Rico. Vanessa, thank you for taking time to... Talk to us, seriously. This was really dope.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure.
0: All right, y'all. That's our show. You can follow us on IG at NPR Codeswitch, all one word. If email is Maria Jam, ours is Codeswitch at NPR.org. And subscribe to the podcast on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. To our CS Plus listeners, we just want to give you all a quick shout out. We appreciate you and thank you for being a subscriber. Subscribing to Code Switch Plus means getting to listen to all of our episodes without any sponsor breaks. That's really dope. And it also helps support our show. That's (laughs) really, really important. So if you love our work, if you rock with us, please consider signing up at plus.npr.org slash Code Switch. This episode was produced by Christina Kala and Alyssa Jong-Perry. It was edited by Dahlia Mortada. A special shout-out to Adrian Florido, our old Code Switch colleague, and Ana Maria Sayre of the Alt Latino team for her guidance. A big, big shout-out to the rest of the Code Switch Massive, Kumari Devarajan, Karen Groosey-Bates, Diva Motisham, Jess Kung, Courtney Stein, Vera Williams, Steve Drummond, B.A. Parker, and Lori Lizarraga, our art director, is L.A. Johnson. Our new intern is Olivia Chircote. What's good, Olivia? Welcome to the team. As for me, I'm Gene Demby. Be easy, y'all.